1: Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Joe Vitale joins us in the Blues booth. We know that we're going to have training camp. That's going to start in 28 days on the 10th of July. That's a good thing. But, Joey, first and foremost, great to have you with us. And today is the one-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, Randy, Michelle, good morning. You know, I woke up this morning, and I saw that, and, jeez, I mean, I know it's cliche, but... Where has the time gone? It just has gone by so fast. And, uh, you know, some great times, but certainly some some little gruesome times, too. It's amazing, you know, when you look back over a year, what's kind of happened, the good, the bad, the ugly. But, uh, yeah, a year ago today, it was uh, it was a day in Boston, just kind of like this, actually. I stepped outside it's a beautiful morning it kind of does resemble what the weather was like in Boston on that morning it just felt like a normal a normal day as the blues just prep for game seven what a what a night that was Joey take us into the night before game seven you're in Boston you're you're excited you're prepping for the game but what was your mentality then were you nervous were you confident they could get it done what were you thinking the night before well the night before game seven in Boston was probably the best night on the road all year for me and i think for the entire staff you ask anybody that that last night was was epic we went down to the north end which is basically boston's version of the hill here in st louis it's the italian district it's a one big sh- strip on hanover street full of uh, italian eateries there's cannoli shops there's uh, italian goods shops some grocery and we went to this uh place with monica's on uh right on the north end there and it started out with me and some of the media crew and then opened up to some of the PR guys. And eventually Chris Zimmerman's there. Tom Stillman, the owner, joined us. We had a table of about 20 guys at this place. And we just got after it. And we had some of the best food and the best wine. Bernie Erko was passing around lemon limoncello, like you read about. And it was just a, a wonderful evening, uh, a climax of what a year it was, especially for this group of trainers and, and media and broadcasters alike, producers. So that was to me uh, kind of a very relaxing night uh, heading into uh, what would end up becoming game seven. For the preparation for me, Michelle, to answer your question, you know, I, I got the job in June of the previous summer, and I never forget I met with Joe Buck at the Starbucks over here off of uh, Lindbergh and Highway 40 right in Frontenac there. I get the job, I meet with Joe Buck, I give him a call. Hey, Joe, I just got this job. He's like, Yeah, I heard about it. I go, You want to for coffee? He said, Geez, I would love to pick your brain. And one of the things that Joe said in August, so again, we hadn't, I hadn't started the year yet, but this really came back to me the night before Game 7. He said to me, you may, you may find yourself in some big moments, Joe, and, and calling some big games in the near future. And my best advice for you is is just don't prepare too much. Don't ever over-prepare for a big moment in a big game. He goes, let me give you an example. And Joe Buck called Mark McGuire 62nd and he had this whole thing prepared. He was going to say something about Andy Homer's in and right into the books or whatever, something he had planned. And when he remembers that home run, as I know you guys had Mark McGuire on this week, that was a terrific interview, and I was there for that game at Bush Stadium. That was a line drive. We all remember that 60-second home run that broke Roger Maris' record. It barely went over the wall. So Joe was kind of tongue-tied on the call, and then he says, you got to go touch first, Mark. And, and his whole call kind of got um, – messed up in a way and he thought it was messed up at, at the time but then he looked back on it and it was one of the most genuine realistic called as you see a calls, and it's one of the most classics of all time because he just he just said what he saw and that's what joe said to me he goes you know just whatever it is just just say what you see and i remember that in the preparation for game seven i didn't want to go in there with anything i just wanted to see it and call it and try to deliver it the best as possible and of course chris kerber he uh, knocked it out of the park with his call, and and we just uh, we had a lot of fun that night.
1: What about your emotions growing up a Blues fan? You'd played for other franchises in the NHL, but I'm sure that you were just like Pat Maroon, or just like the other uh, people in St. Louis that have been involved with hockey uh, on other levels and with other teams. So, what was your emotion like?
0: You know, my emotions were actually pretty steady, Randy. You know, I've I've played in some big games as a player, and it was kind of nice just being the radio broadcaster for this one because uh, I'm thinking about it from a player's perspective, and, and I've been in those moments. I remember just how worked up I was. I'd never slept uh, anxious the whole time. No one wants to be out there making that mistake if something should go really wrong. So I remember as a broadcaster thinking, like, man, I got one of the best seats in the house all I can do is just watch and just pretty much have a conversation with another guy about what I'm seeing out there. And, and that's kind of how I approach it. And it was kind of a very enjoyable experience for me. I didn't feel like there was a lot of pressure. I didn't feel like super anxious. Chris, on the other hand, he was, he was super anxious. Like, I don't know if there was a man in that building aside from all those players that wanted to win that game more than Chris Kerber, given everything he's done with this organization over the years. And he, I, I felt his anxiety and I tried to calm him down Pre-game, I tried to calm down uh, throughout that first period especially those first 10 minutes as the Blues were just getting chillacked but I uh, know to answer your question I-, I was very relaxed it was almost that feeling where you knew this was the climax there was no more games after this and that's always a cool feeling if you think about it because it's either we're going to win and we're going to have a parade or we're going to lose and it's going to be over and we can just stop playing the what if game because all throughout the playoffs you're always like well maybe if we make it the second round or what if we made it to the third round or who knows if we win the cup it's always that game back and forth of what could be what couldn't be in that moment you knew it's one way or another either either we're gonna win or we're gonna lose and we can move on from there either in a great direction or in a kind of somber direction and uh, of course uh, we all know the result and it was a very special summer That's how I know that you were a player, Joey, and not just strictly a fan. Because fans would describe that feeling as torture. The fact that you said heading into Game Seven, it's kind of a cool feeling to know it's going to end one way or the other. For a fan, that feeling is pure torture because you have no control over what's happening, and all your hopes and feelings and emotions are tied into this one game. It was awful. It was awful until they won. (laughs) Well, you know, but you're exactly right, Michelle. And then, you know, I think fans can never believe when they ask players like. What word is it like before the game, right? And players are like, oh, I just, it felt like a normal game. Everyone thinks they're BSing. Everyone thinks, oh, my God, you're just being politically correct. You're just saying whatever you ask. Me. No, they're being, they're being honest. They, it is just another game. And, and truthfully, it is that feeling inside that, you know, we're going to go out there. We have a game plan. We're going to try to execute the best we can. And the rest we're just going to leave up there. We're going to leave it up to the hockey gods as far as either it's going to go our way or it's not going to go our way tonight. And, and, of course, I mean, you saw it in that game. Uh, I'll never forget those first 10 minutes. They did not look good, and but it, it is that feeling of hockey guys. And I remember looking at Chris, and he was kind of shaking his head at that first TV timeout, and he's like, this doesn't look good. And and I remember that feeling of that game, and I've seen this before, and I said, Kerps, settle down. We got this one. And he looked at me like I had 10 heads. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. That last save, that clip Biddington's armpit like the jersey of his armpit on Marchand we all remember that from the power mm-hmm. play early in that game I go I've seen this bounce happen before we're getting the bounces early we're going to be all right I'm looking at Tukarask on the other end who has faced like two shots I think in the first like 12 or 13 minutes that is a terrible place for a goalie to be it's a big game seven you want to feel shots. you want to get in the game early you got to feel the puck you got to move it to your defenseman you got to get vocally involved in the game Two grasses on his own island down there. He's just waiting, waiting, waiting. He's not engaged. He's not getting into the game. And meanwhile, uh, the Blues are getting peppered, and Biddington's coming up with saves left and right. Any time that happens in a game, it's it's a very bad thing for the team that is just pumping shots and can't get any benefit of it. And we saw that in the Blues game and uh, exactly what happened. You know, you saw Ryan O'Reilly be on the board, and then that Petrol go at the end of the first. To me, that was a nail in the coffin. I don't know if the Bruins really had any life after that.
1: Joey Vitale, always great to hear your voice. We should ask, by the way, about the new Phase 3 for training camp opening on July 10th. Just nice to have a date, isn't it, that we know that the teams are all going to be participating in training camp?
0: It's exactly right. You know, it's just another step in the right direction. I do think there's a lot of negotiations that need to happen with phase four. That's the most important phase. That could propose a lot of hiccups moving forward. So I think for the both sides to get together and to kind of iron out those details is going to be important. But you're right, Randy, phase three, July 10th, if I'm a player, I've talked to some of these guys, uh, they're excited. I know a lot of people are like, what are these players going to be like? These guys are super jacked up. They're going to camp. They're going to play pick-up hockey for a couple weeks with each other, and then they're going to go right in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Are you kidding me? And people are like, what about no fans? Is it legit? These players don't care about that. They have a chance to raise the cup. They have a chance to get their name on the cup. They have a chance to get a ring and have a parade and have a party with the cup. To me, that's these players' motivation. It is going to be some amazing hockey when they come back. Any any of those naysayers out there or doubters think it's going to be any legit feisty, up-tempo, high-octane hockey, you're crazy. This is going to be some really good hockey when they come back.
1: Joey V, have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you next week. Michelle, you
0: guys, thank you so much for everything. Uh, Randy, and you guys have a great weekend.